There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. There's a red moon rising on the Cuyahoga River, rolling into Cleveland to the lake. Hello and welcome to the award-winning podcast, The Academy Academy, the show that discovers the absolute, undeniable, and scientifically proven greatest performance in your favorite actor's esteemed career. I'm Don Saunderson. Uh, I'm Patrick Gremion, and, and just really quickly, I just want to say a little poem. Okay, yeah, go for it. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, I know you're a big poetry guy. Oh, yeah, no, big, you know, I'm like Rooster. I'm a huge poetry guy. Uh or Turk. Or Turk, yeah. I forget which one. Turk, Rooster. <laughs> Rooster, <laughs> Turk. One of those, of course, one of those guys. Yeah, very memor- memorable characters from the film Righteous Kill, a movie everyone remembers all of the details from. Um, <laughs> ahem, ahem. Uh, excited and anxious, I await my dream <laughs> to escape, applaud, and embrace my team. Opening day, I can always trust. It's just for this high that I crazily lust. Return to our hero does brighten the days. Just briefly, my troubles get lost in a haze. The world is a vampire sent to drain. Secret destroyers hold you down to the flames. (laughs) And what do I get for my pain? Betrayed desires and a piece of the game. I want to fuck you like an animal. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. Beautiful. (laughs) And I also appreciate you reminding me of I completely slipped my mind that I was at the forefront when I watched it discussing the soundtrack to the fan, which we do need to talk about in a little bit. <laughs> Great combination of of modern and old. Yeah. Spending uh, a the t- soundtrack of both. Yeah. <laughs> are amazing. I love okay. both. One of the soundtracks makes logical sense throughout the film. The other one is like, man, we spent a lot of money on Rolling Stone songs. Kind of rules. But uh, it again, though, this goes to something we were saying just before we got on. It's like taking like the seven quality of like using like Nine Inch Nails songs to underline like gross murdery situations. <laughs> Isn't it weird how Trent Reznor has gone from being like the guy in the 90s who underlined gross murders to the guy now who underlines like meditative, like depressed teenagers walking around in the snow and shit like that. (laughs) Like, boy, we all get older, don't we? (laughs) Yeah. 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 Very interesting. So today, of course, Patrick wrote the poem that will be headlining the true crime prompt podcast that patrick the, the patrick grabbing on story um, yeah wait am i the how's wait am i getting murdered or am i the murderer or am i just the host no spoiler i'll never tell <laughs> oh no <laughs> gulp uh we're, we're we're talking the america's national pastime this week though two baseball films t- starring our man for this season wesley snipes and we thought who better to bring in than the only hardcore cinephile filmmaker that I know who also is an experienced baseball player. And of course, uh, Richard Linklater is here. No, no, it's Andrew Saunderson is back on the show. <laughs> Welcome, buddy. Hi, guys. <laughs> All right. Hello. We've got a really 
hot duo. A lot of text messages going around about these two. We're very excited to discuss them. We're talking about Major League and the fan today. But before we dial it in and dig deep on these two, um, you know, tip-top films uh, set in the world of, uh, you know, the old pastime. Andrew, we got to ask you, you're the, your first guest of the season. You're our first guest in like nine months, frankly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Since maybe August? Yeah. yeah, we had to talk about Martin Brest for two months. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and then Mel Brooks, not Mel Brooks, the other few Brooks is Albert Brooks. Well, yeah, the old, the, uh, you picked the one Brooks we didn't cover. Um, <laughs> He's been sitting here waiting to talk about life stinks for six months and just never happened for him. It's like, I, I watched it. We were supposed to cover it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were doing Dracula dead and loving it. I know. Robin Hood Men in Tights is the number one movie of the bracket. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> so we're talking Snipes, Wesley Snipes this season. Andrew, you brought up an interesting point to me here. Has he ever been nominated for an, you guys are called the Academy Academy, and I don't think he's ever been nominated for an Academy Award, which is true, but um, is that a a crime? I mean, if there were uh, an awards dedicated to just charisma, I would give them all to Wesley Snipes. He's a star. He's just like he he he's magnetic, and uh, we gotta know Andrew before we dive into these two movies. What's your Snipes saga? So, my Snipes saga begins, as you know, with one of these movies, and of course, it is Major League. And I would venture to say that I have probably seen Major League more than any other movie. <laughs> in my history of movie viewing wow i remember it was one of the first movies i watched as a kid and then i gotta give a shout out to my best childhood friend Corey ortel who lived three houses down and it was also his favorite movie so generally what would happen is i'd watch major league at home go over to Corey's house and spend the night and watch Major League there. So I would kind of go back and forth between houses watching Major League as a kid. This R-rated, very R-rated comedy. <laughs> you got to also um, the possibility that upon walking home and entering the house, our father would have it on the TV, <laughs> on the video cassette on repeat. So he could be walking in on Major League the very next morning. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. so I remember... I mean, he is ingrained in my memory at pulling up in his Volkswagen bug as say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> Willie Mays Hayes. <laughs> um, I remember dad cracking up. I remember him just being like, who is this guy? This guy is the coolest guy and he's <laughs> hilarious. He's magnetic and so I just remember just thinking that he was just the coolest dude I had ever seen. Um, him and Wild Thing Rick Vaughn, of course. Mm. And uh, and then from there, you know, from Major League, you know, thinking about him in, in movies, um, 
probably white men can't jump stands out as the next one that I was like, you know, probably a natural progression of sports. And, uh, that was such a huge movie when, when I was growing up and, and then I think from there, I just remember seeing, like, I remember seeing a lot of posters. I, I, like, I, I was like looking back at the filmography and being like, oh, the new Jack City poster yeah. that really like him in sunglasses. And I'm just like, <laughs> he, oh, he is the coolest guy. Like, <laughs> and then uh, after White Man Can't Jump, Passenger 57, and you start getting into the weird career of him kind of making up knockoffs of other action movies, which I loved. I still loved. Um, and like films like Drop Zone. And I was like, this is really cool. Um, and so from that early onset, like I would just watch anything that he was in. And then when obviously when the blades started to come out, I think I've seen every, I saw every Blade film in theaters. Mm. One, two, and three. I I would, yeah, I, I would watch whatever Wesley Snipes was in because <laughs> he was just, he's magnetic. He's, he's electric. He's just, I mean, a phenomenal, phenomenal personality and actor. So um, I loved the guy. And I remember, I remember watching the fan also when it came out and loving it because I just thought Wesley Snipes was cool and anything, any sort of action adjacent, I'll call it action adjacent <laughs> film. <laughs> Action-esque. With Wesley Snipes was cool. It's a bat knife fight. I'll call it action. <laughs> it eventually, it eventually gets to action. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I came in, I, I mean, I'm very excited to be back on the pod and excited that y'all thought of me for this one in particular. Uh, I watched the fan this morning. I was so excited to watch the fan. Uh, so it was going to take a lot for the fan to uh, sway me, but who knows? It a little teaser at the beginning. Good up front. call. Good call. Did it do it? Very did it professional not? Professional of you to launch that teaser there. I'm I'm starting a narrative. Yeah, you're starting a narrative. <laughs> and you know, I I think um, I think that there are interesting positives in each film's direction, and I think there are actually interesting negatives in each film's direction. But I I I too, I'm not. I think well, we're in the, we're in the gray, and uh, just getting jumping into this conversation. I mean, and if we're evaluating performance-wise, it's yes. a different. It's a, it's they're totally different. I mean, Snipes gets to do a lot more, and he is the star of the fan, mm -hmm. and so he has to he has to give a lot of range, particularly, <laughs> particularly at the end. You yeah, know, he's he's an emotional wreck. Yeah, and yet it's like a a more. I feel like he doesn't um because he's like saddled with the lead performance he uh he isn't allowed to i don't know do as many i or maybe it's just the fact that in major league it's a comedy so he can kind of be a little more goofy and energetic 
in that film because he doesn't really get to shine i think that much in the fan till the end like i think that's when he gets to kind of give his little powerhouse moments he is the straight man yeah in the fan and in a world and we will get into it in a moment because it's more than just what it's more than just gil renard that is living in crazy town in the fan <laughs> it, is, it is the city of san francisco perhaps it's living in crazy town <laughs> But uh, yeah, first, I'm glad you brought up Corey, too, because a big shout out to him. Another huge Major League head as we head into Major League. Here are those statistics for the movie. Came out in 1989, so it's <laughs> unbelievably, it's over 30 years old. Um, and, you know, to new fans of Major League, they might be able to say, yeah, that makes perfect sense that it's over 30 years old. <laughs> but uh, for Andrew and I, we probably just makes us feel a little old. <laughs> um, uh, it was budgeted at $11 million, made 75 big ones at the box office. So a pretty decent hit, especially for a baseball a movie. Famously, baseball movies don't play well outside of the United States. Um, written and directed by David S. Ward, who uh, famously wrote The Sting, another Dude's Rock movie, if there ever was one. Uh, the cast stacked. Tom Berenger. Oh, and you know what? I, what I love about the Wikipedia page, it lists not only their character they played, but also their position. So I'm going to do it uh, baseball style. Tom Berenger is Jake Taylor, catcher. Mm. Charlie Sheen is Ricky Wild Thing Vaughn, starting pitcher slash relief pitcher. Corbin Burnson as Roger Dorn, third base. James Gammon, Lou Brown, manager. Wesley Snipes, Willie Mays Hayes, center field. Um, Chelsea Ross who I love as Eddie Harris starting pitcher. And, uh, you know, also, you know, give a shout out to uh, Pete Vukovic who plays Clue Haywood of the Yankees, first baseman, um, notorious uh, uh, smokeless tobacco user (laughs) for slow motion spitting. Um, And Willie Mueller who plays uh, Duke Simpson, right-hand pitcher. uh, He's the relief pitcher at the end of the movie that Jake Taylor um, calls a shot on. Also, baseball advisor on the film he was the um he kind of did all of the uh designing of the baseball sequences also starring not on the field uh margaret witten as rachel phelps nefarious showgirl owner of the cleveland indians <laughs> renee russo as poor lynn westland jake taylor's long-suffering ex-girlfriend <laughs> and um you know oh i forgot because they didn't list his position they did not list his position because i don't know what position he plays i think he plays right field pedro i thought it was left field pedro serrano played by dennis haysbert how could we forget uh serrano and um the god bob uecker as harry doyle announcer Uh, play by play man (laughs) i think you're forgetting the uh number one character of the film uh the city of cleveland oh thank you patrick yes the city of cleveland um movie opens up randy newman (sighs) love this song love the montage like uh step aside dog day afternoon Nelton john we got a new musical montage that i like the best <laughs> displaying as patrick said maybe the star of the film the city of cleveland <laughs> i'm not gonna lie i love how cleveland legit looks like victorian london like industrial <laughs> like i'm surprised chimney sweeps aren't like on the streets with sooted faces 
like another day <laughs> yeah. in Cleveland, sir. Like it's just it's so bleak, and I love it. Like so I've never. It well, looks like everyone in town who everyone who doesn't in town who isn't Rene Russo's yuppie boyfriend and his friends or the Cleveland Indians are work at the blue collar store. Yeah, they're so, they're at the lava factory. Yeah, in Terminator yeah. Two. They they're work at Terminator fresh, Two's lava factory. Yeah. They're making fresh lava <laughs> for Terminators to find it. <laughs> So um, I remember, like, I was thinking about it. There, it, it became a time when Corey and I would just we'd sing all the songs to this movie. So I just I can clearly like hear like Corey and and like just thinking of the city of Cleveland. Just go Cleveland, city of light, city of magic. <laughs> I love the Randy Newman song, and I I couldn't believe it was Bill Medley again who sings the love theme. Oh man! And I, I, I remember it, you I was guys it with Amira. You guys, because doesn't night. Bill Medley have a bunch of stuff on the Rocky soundtracks? Absolutely, too. And that was your guys' other favorite movie. So, yeah, our pump up mixes for like going out and playing baseball consisted of a lot of Bill Medley. Yeah, like a lot of like power ballads from movies. It was so weird. Yeah, like sitting in the car, getting ready to go out and take the field. It's just like, woke up one day. Yeah, this is like Jake Taylor is trying to win back Rene Russo. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I love the Randy. I think the Randy Newman song is really good, actually. Like beyond oh, just being like great. a movie song, it's like a cool song. Um, it, was always a, it was also a thing where our dad would start laughing right away at the song he thought the song was hilarious every time he watched it yeah because apparently and patrick I, I don't know if you read up on this that that is a true story everything he's singing about and the river was so polluted that went through cleveland that it did catch on fire and oh, that's yeah. the entire what the theme of the song is and my dad thought it was just a freaking hoot that randy newman wrote a song about this river catching on fire <laughs> I mean, it's pretty fun. It's what are the odds? A river? That's water. Why is it on fire? Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like, oh boy, Cleveland, what a damn mess. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting uh, fun fact, though, most of the movie shot in Milwaukee. Like the uh, they had better access to the Brewers Stadium, and that is another reason why, um, if I'm not mistaken. Bob Euchre, because Bob Euchre has been the longtime Brewers play-by-play announcer in real life. Um, another reason why he's involved in the movie. But he'd already been doing those um, Euchre Seats commercials for Budweiser. I don't know if you ever, have you ever seen those, Patrick? No, not at all. Uh, he used to do all these beer commercials where he, uh, he'd always get the worst seat. In the, in the stadium for a sporting event and um he'd say things like looks like i'm in the front row <laughs> you know and it was it was funny apparently in 1983 <laughs> <laughs> I, but, mean, uh, I mean his intro is literally like a, bo- a bottle of jack in the foreground yeah jen noticed that immediately she's like is he drinking i'm like yeah he's drinking <laughs> i, think, <laughs> I so- think the part where the two parts, I mean, we're all over the place here, no surprise, but the two parts I was laughing at the most were, <laughs> you can't figure out the sponsor at the end of the show, uh, the hell with it, and then um, <laughs> one hit, we only got one, one goddamn, goddamn hit. hit. <laughs> you can't say goddamn on the air when well, nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we should probably try to get back to, so this major league is the story of the Cleveland Indians baseball team. Um, they have a history of losing. They were cursed. Um, 
interesting that they didn't choose the Boston Red Sox at this time when they made this film, because um, Boston had a more uh, known curse. Yeah. But um, the um, they are bottoming out. The new owner of the team, Rachel Phelps, has inherited it from her dead husband. She wants nothing to do with it. She wants to move the team to Miami. The only way to get the, out of their lease, though, is to get attendance below a certain, what is it, 800,000? That's correct. Yeah. For the season. So to do that, in order to do that, she picks the worst possible players to create the worst product on the field in order to ensure she gets the chance to move. Um, we get people, we get, it's a series of either washouts or never will be's who are on the team led by uh, manager Lou Brown, who coached the Toledo mud hens, but currently seems to be working at a like Lowe's type place. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Jake, I mean, <laughs> go I ahead. Go. Uh, I got a guy on the other line about some white walls. I'll yeah. talk to you later. Introduction. It's, He's so funny and so good and so believable in this part. Like, I just, I can't say enough about how much I liked James Gammon in the film and all of his reactions. And when he yells at um, Rachel Phelps midway through when he's naked, um, (laughs) it's like a little more of a serious moment. Apparently, he was a close friend of Sam Shepard's in real life. And Sam Shepard said he could act circles around any other I think it's Sam Shepard parlance, any other fucker in the room. <laughs> you know, <something> like, <laughs> he's like, he knew my drunk Midwesterners. <laughs> I was like, yeah, he's an he incredible, did. incredible performance. I would have loved to see him in more stuff. He was, he seems like the kind of guy who was handed a pack of cigarettes at, right after he was born. Yeah. He's like, if you put Wilford Brimley and Sam Elliott in the machine from the fly. Yeah, yeah, the Brunda, like he he's the, uh, he the gammon half, fly. Yeah, he's the half, <laughs> he's the halfway animorph from Brimley to Elliot. He's, <laughs> he's the midpoint. He's wonderful. <laughs> but he's I, oh, go I ahead. Loved, oh, Amira was uh, my wife. Amira was saying that uh, he was her favorite part of the movie. She had never seen it, so I was really excited to watch it with her and get her reaction on stuff that I just know, you know, front to back. And yeah. she, I loved her comment. She was just like. She's like, he also seems like the kind of guy that would have been down to go like full frontal in that scene with uh, Rachel Phelps and just be like, hang loose and be like, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, it would have. Yeah, at a different time, he would have hung dong. Yeah, he would have shown nut. Yep. <laughs> so the team consists of um, our, our kind of core group. We have Jake Taylor played by the great Tom Berenger talk about a little bit more of our old friend tb in a moment here mm-hmm. um formerly good to good to great i'd say probably not a hall of famer but um you know had a few good runs former all-star in, in, yeah former all-star he plays catcher his knees are shot he's definitely on the end toward heading toward the end of his career as is uh preening preppy third baseman roger dorn who uh played by corbin burnson whose performance i really as an adult watching this movie actually appreciated quite wow. a bit because he's kind of a bit of a villain right. throughout the movie and as a kid i was like give me more ricky wild thing vaughn or give me more willie mace hayes but now i appreciate kind of the nuance of roger dorn a the, little bit more the punch at the end really resonates like i i don't know it, it hit different 
literally it did and well the part where he walks to the mound and like jen was saying because my my wife jen is everyone we know her um she had never seen the movie before either and he was walking the mound after when uh rick vaughn comes up to as a relief pitcher she's like he better not fuck this up for rick vaughn <laughs> like she was like she's like he's got things to do here they gotta win this game <laughs> and so when he says you know strike this motherfucker out you're like Hell yeah, you're on board. Like Jake, after Jake Taylor threatened to tear your balls off and feed them to you, which is an insane speech from Jake Taylor, but a leader, a true leader, Jake Taylor. Uh, then, of course, uh, Wesley Snipes plays Willie Mays Hayes, who shows up to camp uninvited, but maybe maybe has some surprises up his sleeve. Uh, Chelsea Ross, I mean, play, or sorry, one of the most real things you know of that is that speed will get you everywhere in baseball <laughs> yeah he's very fast we find out in a very cool scene where he beats some guys in his pajamas an insane uh, moment where like i love that they just take his bed and just put it they put it so, by the yeah his but... his line rating is shit i've been cut already it's yeah. like so, so funny incredible. <laughs> yeah yeah just here plays Eddie Harris, the aging starting pitcher. And uh, Dennis Hazer plays Pedro Serrano, um, a uh, uh, slugger who also practices. You know, this could be a gateway to some of the less than PC moments of the film. Um, who practices voodoo and runs into trouble with Eddie Harris and curveballs. <laughs> I mean, I still, I still laughed really hard at you trying to say jesus christ can't yeah. hit a curveball I that's mean, like such a baseball moment of like it's some such a christian on the moment. team would absolutely say that you know it, the, we hate bartender joe boo needs a refill and he gets cracked at the bat is absolutely hilarious <laughs> <laughs> oh that's great karmic justice no it rules yes <laughs> and uh so this ragtag group they have um they are picked to they are picked to go dead last. You get great lines like "This guy here is dead" from the list of possible players on the team. Nobody knows who they are. Nobody in Cleveland has any faith. But um, chorus of the city is great. That still mm-hmm. works. Yeah. Oh yeah, that stuff rules. Anytime they're like uh, flitting t- uh, between like the random like you know bar patrons, longshoremen you know, grass cutters, like, ah, it's excellent. Apparently, just, uh, just a, I think one of them was like Neil Flynn too. I think he plays a longshoreman. Yeah, one of the guys from Scrubs is, it's like his first role. And um, so basically, you know, things don't look good from the spring training part. Um, you know, go down the list, Jake Taylor is physically washed, probably uh rick wild thing vaughn can't hit the broadside of a barn with uh he he throws heat but can't throw strikes roger dorn doesn't want to do any of that old a bullshit and um you know won't get in front of a ball to field it because he had, thinks he has a career afterwards willie mays hayes um to quote the god lou brown may run like mays but you hit like shit <laughs> he can't hit anything uh ed harris is aging and what we learned about pedro serrano is that he can bash a fastball but um has some issues with breaking balls <laughs> to say the least which got me thinking andrew do you think pedro serrano would have been left in the lineup once other teams figured out he couldn't 
hit a curveball, would you just throw him curveballs entirely? Yeah, no, he wouldn't play. <laughs> yeah, uh, they don't have anyone else, and, yeah. and he's part of the core six guys yeah. <laughs> that were following through <laughs> through yeah, the they, movie. <laughs> they they should have shown him that he was a at least decent defender. You know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got like like he's a five tool player, except the only tool he doesn't have is he can't hit curveball. So it's like there's still faith in him after 180 games. After, yeah, if you, you can't know. hit a curveball, you can't really play in the major, <laughs> major league. league. You baseball. can't play in college. You can't play in <laughs> high school. Play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah you peaked where Gil that, Renard peaked. <laughs> but um, so but Lou Brown, I think almost from the start, shows signs that he's a good coach. And that's kind of the first sign that this team might not be as bad as everyone thinks. And on the flip side of that too, Jake Taylor is a terrific team leader. If not, if he can't physically do it, he's there for the team and he knows the tricks and he knows the way around the league. And he's a good like uh, mentor, especially to wild thing. And um, Willie Mays haste. Well, yeah, he sets it up with the red tag. Yeah. Kind of, he takes over saying like, you know, this is the deal with the red tags and like, you know, this is how, this is how you handle yourselves as don't celebrate professional in front ball of, players. Don't celebrate in front of the guys. Yeah, he takes a great leadership role right out the gate. Mm-hmm. But uh, for as much as much talent as Jake Taylor has on the field and in the locker room, um, his love life, uh, it's a mess. <laughs> like he's back, he's back in Cleveland and he's, uh, he's on the hunt, literally. I don't know if Amira knows this. Jen certainly noticed his his tactics to get Lynn back were not maybe the most kosher these days. I mean, <laughs> um, as, uh, he's after a uh, hotshot swimmer turned librarian. Um, question mark. Lynn, <laughs> Lynn Wesley. Uh, played by Renee are- Russo. Do not scoff at the 200 meter individual medley. Yeah, yeah. We know she swims. We're not certain if it's more the library. It's like, what's she doing? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, as an adult, this storyline is by far the weakest link and yeah. does not hold up that well. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. Uh, you know. the, the one part of it I do enjoy is everyone reading the comic book versions of major <laughs> yeah. books to, you know, <laughs> I guess to get like the, you know, they kind of like cheat their way into the heart of or I guess he's doing it to cheat his way into the heart of Lynn. But like, uh, it's a very funny heightening that he starts with the comic book of Moby Dick and then they're on the bus later on and everyone on the team, including Dorn, are reading Great, Song Hiawatha. Great, yeah, yeah, yeah. The comic book. <laughs> that a uh, that a detective story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll give you the the Stanley's crime and punishment. Here you go, bud. I mean, that's the thing. Like, they give Wesley Snipes so many great one liners and so many like opportunities to score that you know uh, when he tells Jake to tailor home from the library, mm-hmm. it's like that's kind of juvenile, don't you think? And just yeah <laughs> he's genuinely funny and I the think delivery is so one funny. single word delivery that is great and funny i mean he, incredible. he he explodes off the screen and i mean the you know i think that that's another really special thing about this movie is that the older cast members really bring like it's almost like a baseball team they bring this like veteran calm and leadership to the thing whereas like the younger cast members all get these really like wow you guys are stars like let's see i want to see you you know what i mean because this is both snipes and renee russo among their first roles 
And, you know, Charlie Sheen was still very young. I mean, I looked it up. He's only 56 today. Whoa. So he was like, really, you know, this is 32 years ago. I mean, he was young when he made this movie. And, um, you know, Jen, I, she said it. She's like, this is the first time I've ever found Charlie Sheen endearing in anything. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry, mean, Platoon. Yeah, we had we were inundated with Charlie Sheen because we were machine. We were machine fans. We were big machine fans because Wall Street and Major League alternated. Yeah. On the on the television. Uh, Ken Ken Saunderson Hall of Fame movies, Major League and Wall Street. And, you know, uh, to give him back to another thing Jen said, and I don't know if Amira brought this up too, Andrew, but Jen was like, I swear, I thought this was a kid's movie because you guys keep talking about it. Like, oh, I watched it a bunch when we were kids. It's like, no, um, we also learned what Blue Star Airlines was and how Gordon Gecko thought greed was good when we were like six. So, you know, I laugh. we've got a very like warped point of view on what a kid's movie is. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, this one, though, because this one was so funny, I think that's what appealed to it. It had baseball and it was funny. But like, so basically, as the movie progresses, they begin to get a little bit better. Rachel Phelps, nefarious owner, continues to like punish them with worse and worse transportation and facilities and so forth. But they keep like they're scrappy and they keep kind of finding ways around her her antics and stuff. And then is the city of Cleveland like, are their ears perking up? Are they saying, hey, these guys might not be too fucking bad? Yeah, that's what they're saying. And people are coming to the games. These They get American Express commercials. And Oh, so what we learn is that each of the guys on the team, Blue Brown, slowly uncovers, they have like these minor flaws that with a little tweaking turn them into all-stars. Would you say that that's kind of the way it works, Andrew? That's how baseball works. That's how baseball works. Uh, turns out glasses. that Charlie Sheen needed glasses and he's all of a sudden like Randy Johnson. <laughs> like, yeah. you know? He's Goku now. Like, he's yeah. just, <laughs> just a powerful being. Uh, Willie Mays Hayes just has to do a few push-ups and he becomes a reliable Major League Baseball player. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh um, I guess, uh, decides uh, to no longer pray to... <laughs> No longer practice yeah, his he, said, he said that uh, Jobu is no good. And, uh, and he gets a home run immediately. He, he, be, he becomes a true American and he decides the only person oh. to have faith in is myself. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Selfishly, I am the best, says Pedro Serrano. I am the buff god. I am above God. Yeah. Uh, he looks fantastic. He looks oh, terrific. He crushes it, yeah. There's a lot of uh, cheesecake shots of Dennis Haysbert nearly nude lifting weights in this film. <laughs> yeah. uh, Corbin Burns and Roger Dorn just learns to be a, a bit more of a team player. Like, oh, baseball's neat. But a cool thing of him rediscovering a little bit more. Like, he was a kid once, Roger Dorn, who liked baseball. That would have been neat to see him like, I mean, oh, baseball's they just, cool. <laughs> they just do it like he takes ground balls off the chest. Yeah, so he's like he, player. he's now a team player. Um, yeah, and all, all it took is him getting cooked. Burnson, Burnson, one of the rougher baseball players. Yeah, his uh, his fielding was shot in pretty tight close And his hitting, I mean, yeah. he, he had some challenges playing baseball. I guess we should get to that point, like what everyone wants to do. Andrew, 
uh, baseball scouting report on all of the players in this film. Who cuts it? Who doesn't? Who's an actor? Who's a ball player? Okay, let's. Um, I gotta. I'm gonna pull up the uh, cast just so I can uh, the lineup. Yeah, get a better sense of the lineup. Maybe I'll put like the Ken Burns um, baseball music in the background here. That would be good. That would be good. Yeah, something Ken Burns-y. This is uh, Dear Virginia, Tom Berenger. It really seems like he could hit a fastball. <laughs> okay, so Berenger uh, looks pretty good behind the plate when he's digging balls, you know? He's moving pretty well. Uh, not a great swing at all. Uh, not a great arm at all. But, um, you know, he, he physically looks good. You know, as he, you know, he doesn't he's got, look he's got scrawny or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, he's got a good size. Um, I gotta say, best looking in terms of ball playing, gotta go to Charlie Sheen. Mm-hmm. He, he he looks like he actually trained and uh, had he had some mechanics on the ball. I guess he was a high school. Yeah, he looks like he actually plays ball. Mm-hmm. Uh, Corbin Burnson, maybe arguably the worst. <laughs> Uh, um, Wesley, not great, but uh, just clearly an incredible athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he runs so well. Uh, he's just exciting to watch do physical things because he's just incredible shape and dynamic. Uh, and then I'll go with uh, Haysbert. Haysbert's swing is actually not great, but. You know, I still get so excited when he hits it out of the park. Yeah, that's true. And he carries the bat. And it doesn't matter. He carries the bat. Jen asked about that. She's like, is that allowed? I'm like, no, I don't think it it is. Amira (laughs) has the same thing. I've never seen he's carrying the bat? (laughs) (laughs) Hats hats for bats. Was that the first home run that he hit all season? (laughs) Because he couldn't hit it. Well, yeah, they figured. I'm sure they figured it out in the spring training that he couldn't hit a yes. curveball. It's <laughs> like, I mean, we shouldn't put this guy up there. I bet that's why he held the bat because he had not hit a home run all season long. <laughs> Somehow was the cleanup hitter on the Indians. That was probably the, the first his first home run as a professional baseball player. That's why he was so excited. Yeah, the Cleveland miracle came at a good time. How about uh, how about old Eddie Harris? Oh, Eddie Harris, uh, he's okay. You know, I mean, oh, he, nice. he's he, he's okay because he's like, I mean, it looks really slow and it's supposed to look really slow. Um, he's like but, a junk but, ball kind of guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would it would be all the speed would be just exponentially greater. But mm-hmm. overall, it looks it's fine. They should have had him be a knuckleballer. That would have been a fun uh, bonus to Ed Harris. Oh. But then he couldn't put snot on the ball. That's true. Mm. That's true. And uh, cover himself with a vagistil. <laughs> I mean, that's one of my favorites, too, is when Bob Euchre is commenting on when he's pitching. Yeah. And he goes, Vaseline ball right up the middle. <laughs> he's literally calling out the stuff he's putting on the ball. I got to say, I think Bob Euchre, one of the great sports movie announcers. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, you because know, you got to have an announcer in the sports movie. Well, he's just real. Yeah, you know. and, but he's funny too. He's he's very charismatic. But he he does know himself. Were you familiar with this movie? Uh, good. Not at all. I uh, this was the first time I've ever seen this movie. 
I was like, yeah, I'd never, for whatever reason, I'd never seen Major League. And uh, I got to say, like, it was, I guess, like, the only complaint, or, you know, uh, if maybe had they have made it about the Milwaukee uh, Brewers instead of the Cleveland Indians, maybe that's the one, it's the one big rewrite. But that's just they like, would have saved know. themselves a lot of trouble if it had been the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> future, or the White Sox. Trouble. Yeah, yeah. Any, any, yeah, any, any other team. Any <laughs> other team. <laughs> well, not 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 the not the Atlanta Braves, which they oh, do our world play. champion Atlanta Braves are right world now. champion Atlanta Braves, literally right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's. I, I was texting you, Patrick, and just you know, the Cleveland is changing their name going into this next season this movie came out in 1989 so it has been over 30 years since they were kind of it was like this cringy like until now they're the guardians so apparently it does have like a cleveland related element to it calling the team the guardians my fear is that it's um um guardians is cool because of guardians of the galaxy Mm, i'm gonna be pissed off if they have little baby Groot dancing uh they have can we play Groot. baseball now <laughs> yeah i think we can play baseball now <laughs> Mur- murder me yeah. <laughs> murder what a me. Die. uh start starting first baseman for the cleveland guardians ryan reynolds <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I think there are just too many poor choices in professional sports yeah oh yeah <laughs> as a whole i mean i just found out and I, maybe I was just in the dark about this, but the Crypto.com Arena. Yes, our hometown Crypto.com Arena. Ugh, yeah. I, I lost yeah. a year of my life hearing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my hair went a little gray. Just it's, 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 yeah, it's bleak. It's, it's really, I mean. Why, why do professional sports teams make such bad choices? Well, all like, the time i was talking to dad about it this morning we were like everyone who owns like a football team rank among like the 30 most evil people in the united states for the most part yeah. so i mean yeah. it's right it's a top-down thing I mean. oh totally like if like um it i wonder like it's like one of those things where like i bet like in argentina that all the people that like own all the sports stadiums are the dudes that like left like nazi germany like, I must be, like, the same level yeah. of evil in every, like, whatever country, whoever your most evil people are. They're the people that run, you know, Arsenal or, or Barcelona uh-huh. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, I always remember that storyline on Billions. They talked about that. It was, like, the only thing that these guys can collect that actually is rare for them are sports teams because there's a finite number of sports teams. So they all are like psychos about getting their hands on without ever actually caring about sports or the fans or any of any other elements other than that, you know, they just want to be able to tell their friends at terrible parties, like eyes wide shut parties, um, you <laughs> yeah. know, that they own, that they own the Eagles or whatever. You know? In between the most lewd Allegedly, the owner of the Eagles participates in ice white shot parties. Oh, that's cool. Allegedly. Oh, isn't <laughs> like no the idea. head of the Cincinnati Reds, wasn't her family, like, I'm pretty sure the lady who ran the Cincinnati Reds, or not Reds, who owned the Cincinnati Reds in the early 90s, her family was, was like Nazi ap- apologist. Yeah, she was, she, she like, <laughs> was like a Hitler had some good ideas kind of lady, which, was, yeah, uh, that's, 
that's not, not good. Great. <laughs> yeah, but that's, that's I, I, bad. On, a, on a positive note, though, one thing I love about Major League is that like the cast, like even if they're not playing baseball perfectly, they they're just it's it's fun seeing these like this nice eclectic mix of seasoned character actors and newbies. And I feel like the if they were to make a movie similar to this today, they wouldn't like the texture wouldn't be there. Like I feel like you can't have like a Chelsea yeah. Ross and like a modern and an adult bad news bears like this or whatever. Like I really like I don't know. But the, but the issue is too with like modern baseball, like every starting pitcher is six seven and throws as hard as Rick Wild thing Vaughn. Like oh, that's just that that's the right. norm at this and point. <laughs> when yeah, when they clock him when it's like how fast was that? you know, ninety-six, and I was like, Well, yeah, modern that's, era, not that's not perfect, dude. <laughs> like yeah, I mean Jen asked me that too. She's like, That's so fast. I'm like, it was in nineteen eighty-nine. Like Yeah, I was like, Are you a lefty? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's become that's so specific. yeah, it's uh it's become very it's become so specialized and these guys are so big and such like just monsters. like monster studs basically yeah. that, which is uh, cool i guess it's just a different yeah we've lost that era of like sports where like people named like quirky bumpers or whatever you know? we're, we're gonna come into it on the next film with john cruck yeah so you get a physical idea <laughs> of get what idea. a baseball player looked like at that time well the amazing thing is the guy who played clue haywood pete vukovic was a pitcher in his day right and he Which, looks like John Cruck too. And he he's, like yeah, a, he's he's like this beefy this beefy boy. Um, but yeah, I, I think yeah, I think it's just it would be kind of hard to put it, like both in real life and on the screen to put kind of a ragtag group together like this, which is unfortunate because this is like you know, as we were watching it, we can talk here a little bit about the ending of the movie, the the big game at the end of the movie, because whatever questions you have about Jake Taylor's um, wooing methods. Yeah. of Lynn Westland or even kind of the incredibly dated and frankly gross racial stuff revolving around the team's name. Um, right. All, this, everything around it is like controversial and pro- like problematic. Mm-hmm. But I think as a whole, I was surprised at how well it works as a comedy first yeah. and foremost. But the end is so satisfying. The big, it's one of my favorite big games in any sports movie, too. Absolutely. And what David S. Ward does as a writer here is, I think, so satisfying because he gives all of our main guys a moment where they get to, like, finally, like, whether overcome or, like, do what they need to do to, like, succeed to get them over the hump, basically. what They've been, like, so, you know, Charlie Sheen can't get Clue Haywood out. Charlie Sheen does it on three strikes and he throws as fast as he's thrown all damn season. He gets a rad entrance and it's very, it's thrilling stuff. Uh, Willie Mays Hayes finally gets to use his speed in the, the, in the coolest way possible. It's just awesome when he's, you know, going around. Uh, as mentioned, Serrano finally, finally gets a home run. <laughs> uh, very, very satisfying home run for Serrano. Ed Harris throws a really good game. For the most, like, that's the kind of character Ed Harris is. Though he just needs to be a professional who throws a good game. <laughs> yeah. You know, it goes the distance. Another thing that would never happen in modern baseball: you would never set an eighty-year-old man out for eight innings. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, Roger. Uh, and- Dor- 
dives. Roger Doran actually said he died and <laughs> makes a great defensive play. He does some Roger hustle plays, basically. Hustle, it's like, yeah. And, you know, and then the moment Jake Taylor calls his shot, which is still pretty awesome. <laughs> I loved it watching it last night. And uh, when Jake Taylor decides to call the play and looks over to Lou and they start doing signs. I, I Miro just goes like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> it's like, this is real. This is what yeah. <laughs> everyone who's played, you... everyone who's played baseball is like watching this scene. Like, yes, do it, Jake. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. And it's just, it's super like, Jen was like, did not like him the entire movie based on his moves. She literally yelled at the TV, don't get away from him, Lynn. (laughs) (laughs) The line, line, she bet me 50 bucks. She had a better body than you did. Yeah. is an insane. And and Jen was like, he she body, he he body shamed Lynn. I'm like, no, he praised her. (laughs) He said the other lady had a worse body. As Jake said, he had to defend her honor. Yeah. What a man. What a man. <laughs> and I think that it would have been interesting if the movie had ended with him just looking at her into the crowd and her just kind of like nodding to him like, good job or something like rather than them. But who cares? This movie's about being satisfying. And it's just like about it, like a happy ending for everyone involved, except for Rachel Phelps, basically, is the entire idea. <laughs> yeah, I could see Lynn and Jake not ending up together. No, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they make it. No, but I mean, even though, like, even like, because Jen said when he, like, when he's running to first base and he takes the fall, she was like, legitimately, like, oh no, is he okay? Like, she didn't like him, but in that moment, you're like, you don't want him to get hurt. You want him to save the day. Oh, and I mean, I, I'd have to look back at it. I mean, it looks like Berenger does that stunt, and look, and he looks like he eats it really hard. <laughs> yeah, I mean. The sound design like really like crunches and it's Behringer is really good in this movie, despite some of the character foibles by the writing. He's just like, you're right, Andrew. You do kind of believe him as a guy who's like done all the whatever Jake has been up to completely. I'm, bi- I'm biased because of this movie, but I love Tom Behringer. And whenever he shows up, I mean, that was one of my favorite parts of Inception. Yeah. Awesome that he shows Looking up back on Inception, Inception yeah. and I'm just like, hell yeah, Tom yeah. Berenger is here. It's a baller move. I bet Chris Nolan's a huge Major League fan. It's my favorite baseball picture. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I like. I mean, I love him in Big Chill. I love him in. Yeah. Um, he in rules Chill. in Obvi- Beer City. Yo, oh, yeah, yeah, our man Abel Ferrara. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's like. You know, he's he's one of these actors. We kind of talked about these guys before. They had this moment. They were kind of like, he, it seems like maybe like 82 to 90. Mm-hmm. They were pushing for him to kind of be a um, big time leading man. He got close, but he didn't reach like, I don't know, Bruce Willis or, or that level or whatever. But he also didn't have a diehard. He just didn't have a diehard. You know? well, I think that's like part of his charm in this movie is that like all the older actors have that energy to them like it truly does it is truly this ensemble work where there is no kind of actor who has you know the people even that are ostensibly the leads uh play their roles um so like they're willing to 
let other people shine throughout the film. Like there's like it doesn't feel like even like uh like I think there was like a version of this movie where Berenger was going to have a wedding. Like the movie was going to end with Tom Berenger like getting married and like that was going to be like a big portion of the film, but they ended up taking that out because they were like no, this is like an ensemble piece. This is like something where like yeah, everyone's kind of on equal footing almost. This movie's also like a freight train in terms of pacing, and that would have just blown it. Because the way it ends, you're like, great, I'm so satisfied. I don't need anything. I don't need anything more. Which gets to one of our greatest disappointments of childhood, Major League Part 2. Oh, man. uh, A a sorely disappointed Saunderson household, I would say. Not not allowed in the house. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And we did not own that movie on video. Like, one of the rare ones that we didn't own. Reminds me of Dad saying, "What's the greatest movie of all time? Uh, Caddyshack. What's the worst movie of all time? Caddyshack Two, <laughs> without a doubt." <laughs> I was also going to bring up, um, in terms of Behringer, uh when uh, I know we'll talk later about uh, the passing of Sidney Poitier mm-hmm. uh, and Shoot to Kill, him and Poitier together uh as fbi agents is like buddy oh cop. i haven't seen uh, that 1988 yeah <laughs> oh this looks this looks uh this looks terrific kirstie alley's the lady in it oh yeah, Clan- awesome. Clan- clancy brown is in it that you got me there oh man my yeah, boy it, my it, boy richard mazer or richard mazer <laughs> richard mazer's in it too from the thing and not the last time we'll talk about a character actor from the thing tonight we'll get into that right. in just a moment with the the mysterious coop yeah. <laughs> oh my coop. god when coop, <laughs> what a great coop actually surprise. shows up is for so long he is taking pictures of the kid with knives <laughs> it's like coop what kind of guy are you coop, <laughs> coop. they didn't have to let it escalate this way man Oh my god. So yeah, they major league. Uh little major rough league around rules. The, major league rules, maybe a little rough around the edges for new watchers, but I think the charms of the cast and charms the overall Wesley Snipes. The overall Char- story. Willie Mason um, shines. You know, make it uh deeply satisfying and you know absolutely super just fun time to watch. But and as Andrew said, Wesley Snipes is terrific and charming and fun and you love willie mays hayes and you hope he gets all of his gloves on his weird wall um oh, i love his weird glove wall yeah um but is it enough as we said major league is a true ensemble movie and wesley's on the frankly not even in the top three in terms of moments in the movie but, but a lot of good but he's moments. one of the brightest you know sparks yes he is without a doubt but uh probably my second favorite character behind uh wild thing yeah like the one you're gonna say lou brown yeah wild thing's pretty great great. yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) maybe number three then (laughs) but yeah super fun movie if you haven't seen it it's you know a little dated but the sports stuff is still ultra fun and enjoyable uh speaking of sports movies though we dive Seven long years later to 1996, mm. the fan, uh, Wesley Snipes, an established megastar, 
by this point, teamed up with uh, legend Robert De Niro. This movie directed by Tony Scott, one of, uh, I'd say to say, a favorite of everyone involved on this show. Um, screenplay by someone named Fef Sutton, based on the novel The Fan by Peter Abrams. Mm-hmm. Starring in a typical Tony Scott jam-packed with faces and cool people. De Niro, Wesley Snipes, Benicio Del Toro, on Leguizamo, Patty de Arbanel, de Arbano. Oh, fuck, I'm sorry, Patty. Um, <laughs> Ellen Barkin, Charles Hallahan, um, Chris Mulkey, John Cruck, Kurt Fuller, MC Ganey, and um, Jack Black in a very brief uh, moment. I don't know if you got him at the top of it. Oh, I love I love this of era of Jack Black. This movie. Because this is like when Jack Black would just play like random normal people. And it's just seeing Jack Black yeah. uh, just like say, you know, this better be produced soon or whatever, like stuff like that. And not him doing weird rock and roll stick is always just a weird treat for me. Yeah, he had energy, but yeah, he showed up in things like, I mean, uh, he's in Enemy of the State, another Tony Scott movie. And he's in, uh, remember him in The Jackal with Bruce Willis. Yeah. That was another one he shows up in. Oh, and um, Yeah. So this movie made was budgeted at $55 million and it made 18.6 million at the box office. So didn't has a 37% on rotten tomatoes. Tony Scott's visceral flash proves to be an ill fit for the fan, a queasy tale of a session that succeeds at making audiences uncomfortable, but strikes out when it comes to delivering the thrills. Ooh, (laughs) ouch. Um, like every Tony Scott movie since Tony uh, unfortunately passed away, um, this one is gaining in weirdo film Twitter esteem. Like every Tony, like like Tony Scott in general, to the point where you know Tony Scott's movies seem to be more popular among film Twitter people than his far more acclaimed brother Ridley's. <laughs> Although, don't don't count Ridley out anytime soon in this mm-hmm. contest. This is a a matchup of titans so <laughs> but uh yeah, he's definitely like a fun like i feel like he's like kind of the uh, that you know rare contrarian favorite that actually like uh manages to overcome the contrarian aspect and just become a straight up favorite yeah yeah and i mean he's his style and energy and just entertainment value of his movies just there's few people who com- can compete with mm-hmm. Tony Scott when this, I want to, oh, I know that I heard Tarantino talking about it. One of the greatest all time last films, of course, is Unstoppable, the train movie with Denzel Washington and Chris Pine, an absolute banger of a movie. But I mean, like many others, Andrew, you, you and I, I think we've both watched Enemy of the State and we're texting about it during yeah. um, quarantine. And uh, you watched Crimson Tide recently and you said that um, was Man. the home run. Got baseball. It. Crimson Tide is so good. I mean, I think there is also, I mean, there's something to be said of why does one of the greatest actors of all time want to keep working with this guy? Yes. Yeah. The amazing run with Denzel Washington um, culminating in like their last, I mean, the truly psychedelic man on fire and deja vu. The Taking of Pelham 123 remake. 
uh and unstoppable and of course and crimson tide and crimson tide yeah, yeah i mean yeah, that run is incredible yeah my, my parents uh are on the record of saying that they like the tony scott version of taking a pelham 123 more than the og <laughs> walter matthau version which is a wild, say I totally, a wild take I, yeah wild take Can't a wild say take Jerry Stiller is only in one of them, so I'll take that one. <laughs> this is totally fair. Although, if you want to see John Travolta as a total, like that is hammiest. I think that John Travolta should have worked with Tony Scott more. I think that they are, um, they're kind of made for made for each other. Like, when Val Kilmer shows up in Deja Vu, that was another one where I was like, I want to do more Val Kilmer and Tony Scott movies. I think he'd, I think he'd, he'd, he'd be pretty good in this in this universe too. And get, getting into it here, actually, because everything as we know in Tony Scott movies is heightened to the absolute max. They're they go to zero to crazy town mm-hmm. almost from the moment the first frame, and that's a thing. That's a thing we're celebrating in our era of like everything is like. No, it's, I mean, just, you know, everything is emotional and has meaning. Sometimes you just want to have a knife versus bat fight in a movie. <laughs> there, these things need to exist. The basic premise <laughs> of this movie is um, Robert De Niro is Gil Renard, according to Wikipedia, a troubled baseball fan. That's uh, an <laughs> easy way of putting it. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, that's putting he's, it lightly, uh, sure. Yeah, he's, he's, he, from this, it's, much like Jack Torrance in Kubrick's The Shining, he is crazy from the jump. There is no, like, there's, they try to do a few things to De Niro, him, like, getting embarrassed at the job and uh, having a psychotic ex-wife. A few things. They, they give him at least an hour of character <laughs> development stuff. They're just like, we want to understand how yes. this guy ticks, his background, his childhood traumas. <laughs> as he is like as i kept thinking like is this kind of going to be like falling down where it's a guy who's just like pushed to the brink but the way de niro plays him and the way tony scott shoots it it's like no he's already he passed the brink two hours before this movie started <laughs> like yeah yeah he's and, midway through the crevasse yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he and de niro is in full scale as you know we briefly mentioned full scale cape fear yeah. mode in this movie of like crazy town yeah it has to be like yeah, he has an insane he has an insane band with like a tie a tie rack yeah and somehow he comes from a family of knivesmen yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's so de- there's something incredibly depressing about like his father owns the knife company right and he's not even he's not even in, in charge. He's a salesman what? and like a poor sale. Like yeah, he, his father was a, a knife designer that oh. he built knives that were meant to last, like really beautiful knives. That not was these, a whole like quality conversation at the beginning. Knives. How can you sta- you you can't stab a foreign car with a piece of shit knife? Yeah, you can't. You know you that. can't stab oh. the world's largest cockroach. And go entirely through the wall, through the wall. scaring your Hasidic Jewish neighbor <laughs> with his little Daring dog. An animal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he 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 lives in an apartment complex made of cardboard, though, so it's a little bit easier to get that knife through the wall. <laughs> yeah, he lives in the paper districts. <laughs> so, because this is gonna be this, this is gonna get pretty wild. goofy. Uh, yeah. In essence, the storyline is is that 
he's a troubled baseball fan whose favorite team is the San Francisco Giants, who have just signed $40 million man Bobby Rayburn from the Atlanta Braves. Not Barry uh, Bonds. Not Barry Bonds. Let's make this very clear. <laughs> no, they specifically <laughs> reference it in the Yeah, movie. I know. Even though any baseball fan from the second before they even reference it is like, yeah, that's Barry Bonds. <laughs> like every every like bit of biographical detail they give to Bobby Rayburn pretty much matches up with Barry Bonds. So Bobby shows up in town. Bobby's played by our man Wesley Snipes. Um, starts off the season. He's injured right away because the former number one player on the team, the excellently named Juan Primo, played by um, <laughs> cousin, played by Vinicio del Toro, who's as usual with Vinicio del Toro, doing a lot with a little. He's <laughs> like as usual. He's he's, he's making he's, a meal. Yeah, he, he's just he's the man. We all know this. <laughs> And they collide in the outfield, which causes Bobby Rayburn to get injured and his numbers to suffer, which causes a fan to jeer him. But um... <laughs> so speaking of jeering, uh, I loved the coverage on De Niro that they clearly did in like one day. They would just like change the background and it was the same shot, but they would just change the people behind him and just Bobby. <laughs> And so basically, as Andrew mentioned, they spent an hour watching De Niro, who a crazy person whose life was falling apart around him. But it must be made very clear. He is already crazy. His life falling apart around him does not necessarily for that ball. When he goes for the ball, (laughs) the foul ball, it's like... This is, a, this is a giveaway that this guy is not good. He brings his uh, little son, who's clearly petrified of him, um, from the second. I mean, it's not one of these things like moms and moms mean. I wish I could hang out with you, Dad. No, I don't think little little Renard is going into the knife business. No. Richie Renard. Richie Renard. I did love his, uh, you know, his creative use of it of scraping mustard off his hot dog. Yeah, mm-hmm. I love that. Great. Yeah. And, you know, and he and De Niro has to go to a sales meeting. So he bails, leaves his little son at the baseball game. Mistake on De Niro's part. Big mistake. He did did impart the wisdom. That was one of my favorite lines, you know, formerly playing baseball, having made a baseball movie. And you get romantic about baseball all the time. Uh, And I loved when De Niro said to his son, he said, oh, yeah, it's like the sacrifice is the best play in sports. It's like it's like you you sacrifice for your team and it doesn't go against your average. That tells you it's like that's why baseball is better than life. It's fair. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's good. That's good. That sounds like something our dad would say. Yeah. Yeah. It really sounds <laughs> like something part, he would say. I mean. There are like axioms that I mean I think are taught throughout baseball, but dad, you know, I remember dad like squish the bug. Like all those like you know, things are just baseball is was like you you fail seven out of ten times, you make the hall of fame. Oh yeah. Yeah. So true. Very true. (laughs) But so as things go downhill, Bobby's struggling on the field. Um and Basically, this is all leading up to them finally meeting Gil really going extra crazy with I'm going to 
skim the surface here so we can get to some of the details. Um, <laughs> Gil going extra crazy. Gil uh, saves Bobby's son from drowning and then within hours kidnaps <laughs> Bobby's son. Uh, <laughs> after he's like worn all his clothes. Oh, and prior to this, of course. Jersey. Um, that, that whole sequence with those hammer pants with the jersey was a really incredible Amazing. like Amazing. de niro's uh, vulnerability as an actor to, to be preserved in time in that outfit <laughs> <laughs> look i'm not like a fan of nfts i think they're evil but maybe we should there should be whatever NFT. NFT that should exist it should be the the hammer pants de niro De Niro's body double throwing pitches because De Niro probably never picked up a baseball the entire movie. The body double stuff, I texted Don, the body double stuff in this film is absolutely terrible. And I would argue borderline racist, if not 100%, because there is a moment in the uh, the sea when, when... Bobby is going and save or is going out to try to save his son, but uh, Gil is getting there first. And I I sent a screenshot to Don. They have a a close up, a close up that holds for over a second in a quickly cut film, and it's not like a poorly lit close up. You know, it's a straight up close up of a guy that is not Wesley Snipes. Oh no. <laughs> and it's, <laughs> There's some other bald man <laughs> yeah. that is not, not Wesley Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Oh, woof. <laughs> that, I mean, implying that you won't notice. Yeah, it's like, ah, eh, they're kind of the I'm same. like, that is not Wesley Snipes. That's not Wesley. Um, That's egregious. So, meanwhile, even before this save slash kidnapping, um, Gil up and kills Benicio Del Toro in a sauna. Uh, which escalates things significantly um, in the movie. Which he gets away with so easily. Easily, and he all he wants from Bobby is a thank you. Uh, <laughs> I, just and, gotta, I just want to say really quickly, Don sent me the photo. Yeah, text Jesus him. Christ. <laughs> we'll this post is, it on the Twitter feed. <laughs> this is this is. I mean, egregious. it's a close-up, and, and it holds for way too long. Enough time like, for you to take a photo. Yeah, yes. that's nuts. This is a different man. Um, so all this leads up to Gil wants Rayburn to hit a home run for him. In the final game, everyone is deathly concerned about this. Somehow word has gotten out to every one of our characters that um, Bobby needs to hit this home run. And in classic Tony Scott fashion, one of the greatest ever at intercutting between people watching action and people involved in action and the people watching action being like, oh, no, are they going to do it? Uh, massive moments of of deathly concerned Ellen Barkin and John Barkin. Leguizamo. <laughs> yeah. Barkin doing some of the best work. Yes. A sea of love favorite Ellen Barkin. Um, I'm such all- a big Barkin fan. All of this leads up to on the field. Then another Tony Scott heightening. We don't just get a little bit. We don't get a sprinkling of rain 
it's the worst rainstorm in the history of San Francisco. I mean, <laughs> so like, the there's a question of if they're going to call it or not. I was like, <laughs> I was like yeah, you're calling this game. This I mean, is like, this is the storm of the century. As soon as that started, that's over. It's just like uh, how you pivot into the day after tomorrow. <laughs> like somehow, somehow dramatically though, Tony needs to keep the game going despite the fact that the field has become a mud pit. Um, so Snipes uh, hits a inside the park home run. Slides in home plate. Holy crap. We're thrilled. He's called out by the umpire. Holy shit. Is that a familiar voice? Robert De Niro's the umpire. How did he become the umpire? Nobody knows. <laughs> but he's in there. And this leads to one of the finest maximalist conclusions that we've covered on the Academy Academy. De Niro pulls a knife. Snipes has a bat. The rain is coming down. John Crook tries to disarm De Niro and he's killed. Multiple baseball players killed by De Niro. Stipes is stabbed and they are just going at it on a baseball field in, <laughs> on national television with kids in the stands. Um, it's on the big TV in the stands. The, it's on the, there are, the cameras do not stop filming any of it. It's <laughs> a nation traumatized. A nation utterly traumatized baseball lost more fans than they did in the strike you know the same year <laughs> i mean the fact that john crack who's a real baseball player yes. <laughs> and gets a knife to the face and goes and is clearly dead yeah. it's like his, his body is being drowned <laughs> and they don't cut away yeah. they don't no, cut away it's nobody like, goes oh, no. to check his pulse or anything <laughs> no because everyone just no one gives a shit about anything except for like is wesley snipes going to get his son back and defeat robert de niro like any other collateral damage they forget juan primo pretty much the second he's been stabbed they're like boy that stunk yeah you get your number back wesley <laughs> like you know although i did love the blood spurting effects with juan primo's death great blood spurting not enough people get stabbed in like the femoral artery in their leg as a murderer in movies it's because it's very scary because it feels more realistic than like a that stab to the eye or something realistic. like that and the way yeah. benicio played it because benicio is a genius and a brilliant actor he played it perfectly the surprise of the moment yeah the oh no <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh no <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, yeah so it's it ends in this just crazy thing and you know i mean obviously like i mean no surprise here you know Snipes gets his son back and De Niro gets blown away. But um, that, I mean, he's asked to do a lot of dramatic acting. Mm -hmm. It's big. You know, it, it's it's uh, there's a genre of give me back my son. Which, yeah. And I know. was that, that movie immediately crossed my mind. Ransom. In terms, so I think Wesley Snipes thinks he is in a movie as classy and subtle as the Ron Howard directed ransom everyone else in this movie knows they are in this tony scott Remember? movie and plays things appropriately to the to, to the insane insane, that, most insane level was that wrong in thinking that like ransom was billed as like a oscar yeah movie? no it's a classy movie and like gary sinise downplays playing the villain in yeah. that movie like ransom i bet ransom pretty good i haven't seen it well but it's pretty good i i would i'd be happy to watch it um, but yeah, I think Wesley Snipes is like, oh, I'm in a movie with Robert De Niro. Like, I gotta like play it real and bring my A game and stuff like that. And Patrick, bring it back to another Academy Academy movie. There's a part of me that like, 
I kept thinking about Jamie Foxx in any given Sunday and how big he played it in that. And I almost wanted like Bobby Rayburn to come in really, really like arrogant and egotistical and have to be brought down a little bit by like humbled as the movie progressed. So like when he wants his son back, you're like, oh, like he genuinely like loves his son and Bobby Rayburn has seen like what it means to like not be this like flashy big money player or something like that. But no, like from the start when he visits the cancer ward, crazy, and then yes. crazy. Um, <laughs> I want you to play, throw the home run for me. Oh. Like, yeah, the kid died. What? It's <laughs> like, why did you tell me? I that? didn't make it past the first inning. You never like, saw your home run. It's like John, but John Leguizamo knows Leguizamo what movie he's in. He's great. Like, yeah, I feel yeah. like half his lines must be ad libbed. I. I loved Manny. He rules. But, like, also, like, they're like, talk about how movies have changed. They're talking about William Bendix, who played Babe Ruth in The Pride of the Yankees. Absolutely. If you did that reference in, like, Guardians of the Galaxy, no one would know what the fuck you were talking. Like, people actually remembered old movies in 1996. I didn't, <laughs> like, I didn't know that reference. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's just, but it's, it's very funny that that's like, that almost strikes me as like, I wonder if like Aaron Sorkin was brought in to do uncredited rewrites and he wrote that stuff. Cause that seems like a very like, cause he, he and Tarantino used to do like, they both were on Crimson Tide for instance. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> wait, have you seen Crimson Tide Patrick? No, I have not. <laughs> With uh, okay, there's a lot of stuff does. about who the real silver surfer is, the Jack Kirby silver surfer. Versus... We know who wrote that. And, we were, yeah, we're, we're just the most... fairly certain who wrote that. Those lines. <laughs> it's wait, not. Wait, uh, why? why are we talking like, about this? Right both now? of them did stuff on the Rock too, I believe, and you could feel that with like a lot of Cage's stuff in the Rock. But uh, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if like Aaron Sorkin wrote. Like he's the guy who remembers Pride of the Yankees really, really well, and like that's how you make a baseball picture. Yeah, and that's why but I it like. It felt like there were. It was interesting that you brought up the Rock because it, it also felt like that there were sound effects in this movie. There was this like pulse that like was used in the Rock and in Con Air. There were like I don't know. There was this specific. Well, it's like Hans Hans Zimmer is doing the um, soundtrack, the yeah. score to this one, and so I think that had that has like. Just that, like, this is not a Rockheimer Simpson production, but you know, it might as well be. <laughs> kind of has those vibes to it. Um, but yeah, it's so one thing we got to talk about too. So De Niro, he keeps talking about this friend of his who is this little league legend. <laughs> well, we don't know he's a little league legend. We don't know anything. He just coop. He keeps talking about Coop, and I, I texted both of you that I think it's Bron Bronco Henry from um, Power the Dog. <laughs> it's, it's basically who Coop is to Robert De Niro. <laughs> uh, so it's like he keeps talking about it, and then all of a sudden they go to this junkyard like three-fourths of the way through the movie with Bobby Rayburn's son and for some photo opportunities with knives. <laughs> Um, turns out the junkyard is owned by Charles Hallahan from go going um, going in style and the thing. Um, who is Coop? You're like this guy. 
Okay. <laughs> and he lives in San Francisco. He lives and in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah. Everyone, it's so like this is like one of those classic yeah. blue jasmines where it's like everyone in San Francisco was from like New York, apparently. <laughs> it's yeah, oh yeah. That was so crazy. So crazy. Yeah, the like, Bobby Cannavale of Blue Jasmine is the funniest. Like he's a great actor. I love the guy, but it's so funny. Um, yeah. But that's a totally different story of that that movie. Um, but yeah, it's insane this sequence with Coop. So you don't know is Coop in on it? Does he think are they old? Have they kept in touch? Any any of it is like you don't. And Hallahan, who we love, plays it pretty close to the vest. Yeah, he's- for his first moments in the movie until you find out it's like. Okay, he's a good guy, and he realizes that De Niro is a lunatic too. And then, after all that talk about Coop, De Niro pretty easily beats his head in with a baseball. That's that's such a weird transition as a character. It's like, oh, this seems really easy for him now. Yeah, it's um, it's a strange one, but admittedly, it's also like never bored, super entertained all the way through. Um, there, I can certainly see why the critics were hard on it when it came out, and I can certainly see why people were trying to say, like, no, it's actually kind of a fun movie. Now. Yeah, it's fun. There's just so many jumps. I mean, like, it is weird when uh, when Bobby doesn't really react to uh, Gil wearing his jersey on the beach. That's true. Yeah, and that would be really, really weird that that was that he chose that, to wear his would... Atlanta Braves jersey. Right. And the fact that he said he's like not really into baseball, but then is so quickly into baseball and mm-hmm. it, and Bobby's not picking up on that, I guess. Yeah. Also, it's also, like- we- it's also really weird that Bobby's his favorite player. He played for the Braves his entire career. Right. And, well, and like, he saw him as a kid, I guess, coming up. Must have. But yeah, he but it's the same- in the beginning at the same time. I mean, one primo's given him a lot of good years. Right, he should be a Primo fan. He, yeah, you'd think he'd be. Yeah, I don't think he'd want to just be easily well, murder Primo. He's a giant. Is he a Giants he, fan or is he a Bobby Rayburn? He's a Bobby fan? Rayburn fan. He's got a bunch of Bobby Rayburn photos in his little shed. Yeah, his, his come to find. Yeah, at his, the very end. His evidence <laughs> dungeon. Yeah. Yeah, he's got one of those Charlie Kelly walls from Sunny in Philadelphia, mapping up plans. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, even like there a, is no Karen. But and then the other jump in that moment though, like I think feel like I looked away, but then looked back and he had abducted the son and stolen the car and yeah. had no idea how he got back in the house or but it seemed like Bobby never left to, for him to do that. Yeah, it's it was it, already raining out. I was very confused. Like they went swimming scene. they went swimming like an hour ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean the fact that like, missing scene. Yeah. yeah, the fact yeah. that he's like the one person out there should just raise because like they're like in this. You should have gone to the grocery house. store, like walked somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, they're... speak speaking of when the when the sun is drowning too, Wesley Snipes does this leap <laughs> off of the balcony of his house. That's <laughs> oh, like a man. two-story drop. And I was like, that's Bobby, nuts. your knees. <laughs> no, <laughs> like, I, your knees. I was like, as a baseball player, I was just <laughs> like, that. <laughs> I was like, I don't know if a baseball player would do that if yeah. their son was injured. Yeah, I know. <laughs> like, uh, into I soft sand? 
I was like, his second jump, his second jump is awesome. And I'm yeah. like, oh yeah, he's he's an incredible athlete, but man. That first one when he like leaps off the balcony, you're like, whoa, that's a long fall. That's a season ender. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. Maybe career ender. If no, like, <laughs> you really land wrong. And on that note, uh, Andrew, you want to rank uh, the skill level of some of the baseball players? Although Tony Scott, admittedly, not as interested in baseball as he not is. Not in- interested, and and unfortunately, I feel like uh, Wesley doesn't uh, look as good, like because he's just supposed to be so good in this one mm-hmm. that the skill level doesn't quite kind of match up. Because because as Willie Mays Hayes, he doesn't have a great swing. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't look great. I mean, they kind of cut around uh, Benicio Del Toro. So I thought that was kind of hard to uh, gauge. Benicio seems like he's tall, which helps. Yeah. But he's 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 skinny in this movie. He's like skinnier than he ever has been, weirdly enough. <laughs> yeah, they cut around a lot of the actual baseball. It seems like they filled it out with some ball, ball players. And then, of course, this, I mean, this has got John Crock, an actual... Yeah. An actual ball player who does not look like a base. Well, he looked like a baseball player at the time. Uh, and I saw the uh, baseball advisor on this movie. None other than Cal Ripken. <laughs> right. Yeah. A little bit so higher was... budget on this one. Yeah. I mean, it looked like baseball was being played. I just didn't think that uh, Snipes looked as good as he, as he did in Major League because I think he was just supposed to be so good. Yeah. And, you know, he's a um... film. He's super fit, but he's a very like lean yeah. guy, and he's too lean. Like he's just incredible. They should have got him on Barry Bond cycle. Well, he's a, yeah, like he works as a speedster. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Not power, not necessarily power. power. Guy. Yeah, yeah, not a. Not, he's. He's you know, not a like, like uh, when he's bulked up as like Blade. Hmm. That's closer. Yeah, because like John Crook, he kind of looks like American Hagrid. Like he does, like have, yeah. like he just does not have like that level of. Uh... I think the thing too is I think Tony Scott's less interested in the baseball aspect of this movie and far oh, more 100%. interested in the 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 Gil the Renard insanity. This weird knife mm-hmm. man, Curly, 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 old Curly. Curly. Wish. Old Curly. Um, yeah, yeah, he's he he's doing this because he wants to work with Robert De Niro. Oh yeah, and like hoping for more. The thing about it is, is that like thinking about Cape Fear versus this movie, because Cape Fear is not a subtle movie by any stretch of the imagination. No. But what I dig about it is, is like Scorsese's doing it as like a structural and stylistic lark. He just wants to see kind of like, can I make a movie with this tone and this like, l- like visual element to it? This is just Tony Scott. Like, in this movie it's a tony scott film yeah through and through at the end of the day and if you're in man enjoy yourself yeah, <laughs> it's inter- yeah scorsese's feels like a genre piece uh yeah that he's like trying something yeah he's trying something pulpy and and he's being playful mm-hmm. with this horror genre you know yeah that being said i i, I do like cape here more i do too than the fan but um, yeah i think it's a given given yeah (laughs) would you would you rather go with counselor or bobby as a yell (laughs) oh yeah i mean because i think another issue with kf though compare this is that nick nolte is a interest like because wesley's playing him too 
normal. Nick Nolte is playing like this guy who you think is a good guy, but actually isn't a good guy. So they make really good foils and you're like, and De Niro's character in that, you're like, yeah, he's a monster. But at the same time, it's like he did get railroaded. Right. It's so, one, it's so one-sided in the fan. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. you know, I, I wish we had seen a little, and Bobby feels like Wesley's doing the best he can, but Bobby almost feels a little underwritten and not given the juice. Like, yeah, uh, I want to know more about his background in San Francisco growing up and like, as they go so far on the De Niro stuff. Yeah. And the interesting thing too, is they took all these biographical things. Barry Bonds is such an interesting man that um, it would have been like to take some of Barry Bonds personality a mm-hmm. little bit more to the end, like really had um, Snipes kind of like almost be playing Barry Bonds even more so. Well, I still think he did a great job. I think he's terrific in it. Yeah. Like he, he's the only one who's playing things natural and real and in the entire movie. Up, just, just like in major league, which is crazy is first his opener. He's so electric and so exciting. And you believe that he is the star of this team. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. believe that he's worth $40 million. Oh, he's... and you believe Benicio del Toro's jealousy of him. Oh, totally. Yeah. He rules. Like when he's in his Hummer with the sunglasses and cool hat, like he's like, <laughs> Yeah, it's like no. this is this guy slaps like it's great. Oh, you all want to be the cool hat His man. looks and his looks in both movies, like his clothes and stuff. Yeah, he's yeah he's got great hats. You know, no question about that. He Le- was the coolest guy. Yeah, I mean, gr- being growing up in the nineties, I was like, this guy is just the coolest. Yeah. Also, yeah. I just want to do a quick shout out to Aaron Neville as the uh, yeah, as the yeah. out of nowhere he the most un. The antithesis of San Francisco, Aaron Neville, and, the most uh, the most un-San Franciscan man. And the, the song world. at the end, yeah. I was like, oh, and now we got an Aaron Neville song about like <laughs> changing. I forget where, what the lyrics were. They were wild. In, in between, as we mentioned before, so De Niro is a huge Stones fan. This could have been you, Mick Jagger. <laughs> and then, um, and then though, when he starts murdering, it's just clips from Closer by Nine Inch Nails. It's, and it's weird. It's, it's weird. So it, weird. It's it so weird. It's so insane. I, I love it. It works. <laughs> what a good, what a great, uh, what a great soundtrack. It's just a super, super fun time, this movie. Both of these movies, super fun. I think we got to get down to these votes, though. Yeah, let's um, do it. This season, you know, Wesley Snipes has co-starred with a variety of actors, much like Meryl Streep co-starred with Stanley Tucci and Al Pacino, of course, with John Cazale. Um, but this, we're going to pay tribute to a two-time Wesley Snipes co-star, Woody Harrelson of White Men Can't Jump and Money Train. Uh, so who is your Harrelson winner of the week? Uh, Andrew, we'll start with you. Ooh, Harrelson winner of the week. Um, you know, I... This is the guy that I thought I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to say him because he's going to go first. But uh, since I'm going first, (laughs) um, I think that uh, the real Harrelson winner of for me was a guy who left, I think, the biggest impression who just was kind of flawless throughout um and 
a manager I would happily have coaching me any day of the week. Yeah. James Gammon as Lou Brown. Oh yeah. You gotta, you gotta. Uh, Patrick, or, how about as you? my, as my wife put it, the walrus guy is my favorite part. <laughs> <laughs> he is just an anthropomorphic, he is. anthropomorphic walrus of a man. Yep. Uh, man, what a great, yep. Uh, golly, you know, James Gammon is pretty good. Uh, I though I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna you know pick take make a choice out of left field so to speak. Mm-hmm. And baseball, baseball, yes, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> quite. Uh, but uh, I'm gonna go with Ellen Barkin. Oh, I love wow. her. In the, I love her in the fan. She's ridiculous in it. She's like she, this weird. She's kind of like it's like she's like she has Danny DeVito's soul trapped within her or something. It's very. <laughs> it's a it's a great salty performance that uh, is consistently entertaining to me. Her and her weird banter with John Leguizamo throughout the film. So uh, yeah, yeah. I'm like as a, yeah shock yeah shock jock Ellen Barkin. Hell yes. Just date I, already. I, I thought that. I was like, I'm not going to be able to get Gammon. I'm going Barkin. That was my logic. 100%. (laughs) Oh, man. I I mean, I obviously I wanted to pick James Gammon as well. Uh, It's a truly brilliant performance and probably his like, unlike anyone else that we're talking about, his signature, maybe Charlie Sheen. Wild Thing might be his signature character, but certainly James Gammon's. Um, But so I got to go. You know, an actor who I see, he pops up in so many movies and he's always good. And I don't think people know too much about him or like don't talk about him a lot is Chelsea Ross, who plays Eddie Harris, who is really good in the film. He's really believable as the kind of aging Christian who's who just fires junk. And but I mean, if you look at his filmography. Hoosiers, Above the Law with Seagal, Untouchables, uh, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, The Last Boy Scout, Basic Instinct, Rudy. I mean, just a guy who you can count on. When, when he showed up in Buster Scruggs. He's great in Buster Scruggs. So exciting. He's truly great in Buster Scruggs. Uh, last, uh, that's his last feature credit to date. He was on, uh, did a run on Mad Men. Too. I don't know if right. you remember he played uh, Conrad Hilton. Conrad uh, Hilton, yeah. And uh, last scene, uh, the, you know, leave it to the, these guys. He was on Billions. Did a run on there recently, of course. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I gotta I gotta give a shout out to him. I think he kind of embodies him and Ga- Gammon as well. Kind of embody these unsung, you know, but always welcome character actors that uh, we hear at the Academy Academy, you know really really like to give shout outs to and really worship you know it can't all be meryl streep ah, no so, way. Oh, in our dreams uh but here we go um i think this is very close nobody's really played their cards of course across this entire conversation on which direction we're leaning in i think there's a movie we all liked the most mm-hmm. but does that have anything to do with this it does not this is what is wesley snipes best performance this week is it major league willie mays hayes is it the fan bobby rayburn and we got to leave it to uh, patrick to start things off here this is a tough one for me because on one hand you know 
Leslie Snipes is the lead of the fan. Like it's his, you know, maybe not the lead. He's definitely sharing that, you know, maybe it's more Robert De Niro's films at some points than it is his film, but it. Uh, oh, is it more Robert De Niro's film? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe a little, maybe it's more of a De Niro joint, but you know, like it's like. I think it is. I think it is. Bobby. Bobby. I'm in your film. It's my film now. Natty, uh, you care? Natty, you care? <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, and I think he has some great moments in the fan. I think that entry, like his his intro is great. Um, you know, he does have, so there's like this, a couple moments of levity in the beginning. But uh, yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this too, because when I went into Major League, like I said, never seen this movie before. And you look at like Wesley, and initially I didn't want Major League to be in this uh, bracket because you look at Wikipedia, right? He's like the seventh or eighth person like on the cash sheet. So I'm like, there's no way he's in the movie like long enough to like warrant, uh, you know, being a part of this bracket, like at least in my head. But then watching it, uh, number one, he should be like higher up. Like I feel like he arguably has like more moments than a lot of people ahead of him but like i don't know willie mays hayes is like a i think he's like a more interesting and memorable character than bobby rayburn to me and i think he has so many fun i can't believe uh i'm saying this but i'm going major league i'm gonna wow i think i I think i liked his performance in late and i think pound for pound even though it's clearly like not you know a wesley snipes vehicle like pound for pound his performance is i think more entertaining and memorable mainly because he gets he gets he's allowed to do more he gets to be like a little looser he gets to be sillier you get to see like he get and eh, his story makes a little more sense than it does in the fan uh but yeah i'm going major league which i can't believe i'm saying but there you go yeah i i feel pretty similar to you patrick in this idea of like he really pops and he gets to be so charismatic in every moment he gets in major league um flip side though he he is like the straight man kind of hero of the fan he despite the fact it is robert de niro's movie the poster does say de niro snipes equally on the credit um he's playing a very grounded emotional role man who cares about baseball and his son um tony scott's movies i'm not certain if like you know, we're not talking about, you know, performance showcases. I mean, everyone's always good in his movies, but the showcase is usually his swirling camera and editing technique and all that kind of thing. Right. So it's it's a tough call. And I think Wesley kind of gets does get lost in the shuffle of the fan because everyone else is at a 10 energy wise and weird choice wise. You know, they all saw probably saw De Niro's dailies and like, OK, we can do this. But I think you need you need someone for De Niro to attack that we care about and hope he gets the upper hand mm-hmm. on as well. Um, and I think, you know, while he doesn't get like jokes and doesn't get to utilize any of that in the fan, I think it's a full throat. It's a full bodied performance that runs the emotional gamut. He plays a good hero. And I think that. I mean, it, it stinks because I love Major League so much, but I think he's just not on screen enough mm. to really give a full 
character and performance. And some of that, you know, I think we, we, we would like to see him more. We would like to know more about Willie Mays Hayes, how, what, how, how he did show up, you know. But, I mean, it's an un- major league at the end of the day is, you know, an ensemble movie. And he, you know, so I'm surprisingly enough, I'm going to vote for the fan. Ooh, on one. So, Andrew, it's you're the deciding vote. Wow. That was a surprise. Um, I think that in the fan, he has a lot more to do and he is a lead. And I think he pulls the, it off and excels uh, on a full range and it's incredibly impressive. But what I will go to is the fact that I think that his performance in major league does not miss. (laughs) That's true. Every beat he is not only successful, but is amazing in, he gets every laugh. He gets every beat of energy that you want out of him. And I think looking back on it, I was like, it might be smaller, but it is flawless. It's and I, I want, I came in with a hundred percent open mind. Cause I was like, Oh, I'm so excited for Tony Scott and to chew on this, but I'm sticking with the classic with my most go-to film of all time, Major League. Major League. Well, I, you guys, yeah, Andrew, great points on that. I mean, you're I right. Think it's, 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 I think, I think, I it's, think it's small, got a but shot. It, I think it's got an outside shot <laughs> because keep it in the back of your minds, he does not miss. Yeah, you're right. It's a flawless performance in what he's asked to do. And as Willie Mays Hayes and a great character. And so Major League moves on to play the winner of White Men Can't Jump versus Undisputed? Yes. I can't even remember. Wow. (laughs) Uh The Walter Hill movie. That movie is in trouble. Uh, Undisputed, a a boxing picture. Um, Wow. Excellent. Can you hear it, guys? The city of Cleveland is just talking about how Major League just made this bracket. All the longshoremen. This, po- this, this podcast ain't so fucking bad. <laughs> no. Hey, we got to move this lava. Come on. <laughs> Come on, guys. Terminator's coming. Yeah. Uh, so that was Major League versus the fan. Now we move on to this week's game. And it's a classic Academy Academy game. It's, you know, you know it. You love it. It's I love your work. Wesley Snipes has worked with a lot of tremendous filmmakers over the course of his career, but not all of them. Who would you like to see Wesley Snipes get a shot of working with that he has not worked with yet? Patrick, I'm going to hand it off to you to start things off. Oh, I got two. I got two big ones. Uh, Number one, um, after seeing the fan, uh, this Tony Scott joint, I would love to see a, uh, a Michael Bay, an indie Michael Bay film in the vein of Pain and Gain starring Wesley Snipes, like a smaller, like weirder, like Ambulance, I think is the one coming out. Like, I'd love to see. Oh, yeah. Oh, Ambulance is coming out. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Oh, and it's, yeah, it's coming out with a bang. Like, we want, and I want to, I would love to see Wesley Snipes play like a a weird villain 
or like the scummy lead or something, something kind of where he can just like unwind and, uh, you know, play a character that's maybe a little more ludicrous than what he usually gets to portray. Yeah, that's Uh, a great pick. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, You know what? And the other one I would say, too, is uh, Adam McKay would be fun. I think like a just a comedy where Wesley Snipes got to do something very like just like completely goofy. Like, you know, if they made like an other the other guys, too, and had Mm -hmm. like Wesley Snipes either be like one of the like, you know, like a new like, you know, hero cop that they lampoon or like you know the villain of the movie or maybe like someone that like will ferrell and mark Wahlberg have to protect or some bullshit like that would be a lot of fun well will ferrell and adam mckay's friendship would have to be mended you know Ooh, all yeah, of our hearts were broken on here all of our hearts were broken upon r.i.p r.i.p all right yeah that's a bummer to, to a real friendship you know to to a loss for all of us comedy fans and a loss of good friends. Uh, but yeah, I think he'd be great in either of them. He would have fit into the ensemble and don't look up yeah. really well, I think. Um, Andrew, what about you? Uh, I can give two. Um, mm-hmm. The ones that came to mind, um, I think we're both like, I, I was thinking stuff with comedy, stuff with energy. So um the two I thought of were Taika Waititi. Mm. I bet Taika Waititi could get a lot of, you know, juice out of him. And uh, and then the other one would be Jordan Peele. I think if you put oh, him yeah. in like a genre piece where he can be charismatic and funny, but, you know, you can still get some of the serious weight going. I, I think I think he'd be perfect for that. That, I like the I like those picks too. I think uh, almost surprised he hasn't been enlisted by Jordan Peele. Um, that, you know he'd fit in that world quite well. I think um, my picks. I've got one that I think a little more obvious, and one to play to maybe him as more of a serious actor uh, rather than doing comedy stuff. More obvious one. Um, I think he'd be terrific with Steven Soderbergh. I think, um, I, like I think, uh, especially kind of the lighter, jazzier, you know, the, some of his like heist movies type thing. Like you put him in a in a crew, doing a doing a job or something like that, like the Logan Lucky crew or something like that. It's almost surprising he's not okay. in he, he's not in um, No Sudden Move. Seems like, oh yeah, he was like made to be yeah. in that movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think and I think Soderbergh would have a field day, really, because Soderbergh just understands everyone's like strong suits when he has people in his movies and he's just really great with people with big personalities yeah and he's i mean he's just so damn good i think he and but he's like light and loose and you can have a fun time too like depending on what kind of mood soderbergh is in for whatever movie he's making this in this six month period um then the other guy, this is kind of a wild card pick. This would definitely be more serious, but I just am curious about this collaboration is uh, Paul Schrader, which I think would be really strange. And I just like the idea of Wesley Snipes doing voiceover narration over a bottle sitting of whiskey. Sitting in a room. Sitting in a room. Drinking and writing. <laughs> well, I mean. Oh, I, I just like want to see it. I want to see it. <laughs> 
like a I just I just watched sport. Light Sleeper and just thinking about like Wesley Snipes and Light Sleeper. <laughs> I don't know. I want to see it. I believe it. I'd Let's, watch it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I just want to see it. And I maybe this is me wanting more, more and more Schrader, Men Alone in Room, movies, which I adore. But uh, I think I think he'd be great. And I, I mean, because I, you know, when we were putting this bracket together, we got a couple of more serious roles: the um, One Night Stand and Jungle Fevers of the World. But it would have. I think he's so talented. I would like to see him do a pretty straight drama as well. Yeah, he, I, he's incredibly talented. Yeah, and I and I don't. I mean, he got really locked in action movies. No complaints here. But it, but one of the reasons why we picked him is like, man, this guy can do action. He's super funny and he's a believable actor in pretty much every situation. So I think like, that's, that's amazing. So that was, you know, that was this week's game. And this week we're going to end on a little different note. Um, we lost, I mean, geez, losing a lot, but um, two massive, very different cinematic luminaries this past week with uh, Peter Bogdanovich and Sidney Poitier passing away. And uh, we thought it might be fun just to throw out a few, each, each send out a couple picks if you want to, if you're new to them or if you want to do a deeper dive with them and just kind of pay tribute to two amazing talents. Um, you know, I think we've, we've brought up Peter Bogdanovich many times over the course of the Academy Academy. We're all, you know, big fans, you know, love thinking about kind of the ups and downs of his life and career and uh you know Sidney Poitier is pretty unimpeachable with what he brought to the table arguably the most important actor uh to you know ever live in the United States <laughs> so um you know or you know take it however you will broken in like uh, yeah, yeah it is cultural importance yeah yeah, yeah. probably yeah <laughs> honestly yeah um so uh Patrick you know you got a pick for uh both uh, both these gentlemen yeah, you know what? Uh, you know, for Peter Bogdanovich, what's funny is like, you know, my pick is pretty easy. Like, is pretty um, pretty easy. And I've already brought it up a few times. Like, what's up, Doc? Is just and probably one of the funny. It might be my favorite comedy of the twentieth century. Like, it's definitely up. There. I can't think of a movie currently that I find funnier than that one just in terms of like screwball antics and like all and setups like just like the hoops the director makes the actors go through are so funny and well made uh but then another thing i did too was uh i kind of wanted to see if there was like some other deep cuts of bogdanovich's that i could suggest i didn't just want to suggest like you know the go-to's and so actually i watched uh she's funny that way uh before the the most the latest one and I was actually surprised by how much I liked it. It was surprising. Like, is it a perfect movie? No. But is it like, uh, does it fall into that, like, how do you know Aloha sweet spot of, like, everyone's, you know, the, maybe, like, the writing isn't all the way there, but all the actors are clearly game. And if I had, like, a hangover at 3 p.m., you know, I woke up late. I've been out like until four in the morning. I feel like shit. Like this would be a pleasant movie to watch as I was putting a T-bone steak on my head. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm nursing my headache. Cause like it's uh cause Owen Wilson is a lot of fun in it. Will Forte is like surprisingly great as the straight man. Like I really like him. Uh 
you know, like, it's just, um, I don't know. It's a testament to like his skills as a writer and a director that even when he's not firing on all cylinders, it's, his movies are still pretty entertaining. Uh, also, Austin Pendleton has a great like small performance in this movie. So like, yeah, she's she's funny that way. Like, watch it when you're like on a plane or you're you just you have a you have a massive headache and you need something in the background to soothe you. <laughs> nice, nice. Austin Pendleton, of course. Um famously known for starting over oh yeah it could be his the, same character yeah oh so, and one also, of uh, academy academy absolute hall of fame movie starting over and then uh just for the sydney poitier one really quickly too uh sneakers watch sneakers <laughs> sneakers is so fun what a good yeah. Ro- robert redford danny Aykroyd, river phoenix what a great like eclectic cast uh it's like part comedy part crime caper you know, you got uh, fake FBI goons. You have Ben Kingsley with the weirdest ponytail. Uh, <laughs> Sidney Poitier really wants to go to Europe and Scotland specifically with his wife. Watch Sneakers. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> um, my pick for Peter Bogdanovich um, is his first film, Targets. Uh, I just watched it the other night. Uh, Targets is awesome. <laughs> it's a, a truly unsettling movie. Um, none of the light comedy that perhaps Peter Bogdanovich became a little bit more known for. This is a heavy, prescient movie um, that asks the question, who is the real horror movie character? Is it Boris Karloff or is it a sniper? <laughs> you know, and it's it's really good. And it's a, just an amazing way of like low budget filmmaking and what can be accomplished and kind of the corman yeah yeah and it's um very scary movie on top of everything else i i I just think it's really terrific um and you know cinematic disclosure i was gonna try and watch saint jack i've never seen it and um you should watch saint jack and I missed out and it's, I've got my DVD like sitting out. It's off the shelf. It's in the stack of to watch and I got to see St. Jack and I you'll love, you'll love St. Jack. I, I know. I know. I'm, I'm so prepared for it. Um, and my pick for Sydney Poitier is a film that he is not only started, but he also directed a Western called Buck and the Preacher, which he co- it's a buddy Western with him and Harry Belafonte also co-starring Ruby D. Um, First major uh, central characters is uh, in a western with black actors, um, again, and also going against white actors who are the villains of the film. It's it came out in 1972. It's exciting. It's kind of fun. It's pretty funny, and it's also um, very very socially relevant to today's day and age. And um, you know, I think it was they tried to slip it in in kind of the black exploitation era, but it, it's it's got a lot going for it. Beyond that, it has a lot to say, and it's also very, again, like fun and super entertaining. So if you haven't seen Buck and the Preacher, check it out. It's a good movie. Uh, and then the other one I would pick, side pick, is Edge of the City, which is him and John Cassavetes as best friends who work in the shipyard, whose interracial friendship is questioned by Jack Warden and leading to tragedy but that's more of a john cassavetes joint (laughs) works in a shipyard yeah but uh, apparently cassavetes and sydney poitier like two kings 
created a lifelong friendship after making that film and why not two of the best i have not seen that film it's good it's really good martin ritt directed it it's one of his first movies and um kind of gritty social realism type movie i like it i liked it a lot but uh buck and the preacher if you want a little bit more sydney poitier is a central figure in the movie andrew what do you got who am i starting with well i i'll start with poitier because i think i already was referencing it but um I think, um, you know, check out some later Poitier. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I mentioned Shoot to Kill. Watch Shoot to Kill. Yeah, I want and to. watch Sneakers. Yeah. Um, and then, um, you know, uh, one that I love, I don't I just, I, I just am a sucker for this kind of movie is To Sir With Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and fun, fun connection. Do you know who directed To Sir With Love 2? The TV movie. Is it uh, Peter Bogdanovich? It is Peter Bogdanovich. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. Cool. Nice, nice connection. <laughs> we got a connection. Boom. Uh, and then for Bogdanovich, God, I love Bogdanovich. And um, the one that I always go to is They All Laughed. Hmm. Um, and, you know, hearing about it from other filmmakers and then the first time i watched it it was just i had so much joy experiencing it and it was i just had the best time and i just thought that the filmmaking was also incredible in addition to being so fun and playful and um and then hearing you know uh upon his passing too that he you know it, it felt like that film was very personal to him also. And, and he had such, you know, because of obviously what ended up happening after that film. But um, I think everything in his career was kind of still building and, and he was firing on, on all cylinders um, on They All Laughed. And yeah, I mean, he's amazing. And yeah, if you haven't seen They All Laughed, check it out. It's a great one. I, I, I completely agree. And that's the one that... Um all the young gun filmmakers that's the one that they point to as being their favorite like uh tarantino wes anderson no bomb back none of them young anymore but they used to be <laughs> um, uh, i was so was, surprised by it when i first saw that it. that's like, all oh, they incredible. love that movie yeah it's incredible and i anticipate that that's going to be playing in new beverly next month it's so fun seeing like you know they're clearly like stealing locations and doing run and gun like handheld stuff with Audrey Hepburn in New York city. And that's and her, really exciting. Her ease with Ben Gazzara, Oof. like their chemistry together is uh lightning, if you will. And John Ritter's great. It's, it's, just, it's yeah, a, Ritter's amazing. God, it's I a just, terrific movie. I, just, I watched anatomy of a murder uh, for the first time over the, the, you know, over like the holidays and uh, Ben Gazzara is just such a, what a great actor. Oh, I love Gazzara. His energy yeah. is so like unique and strong. I love, yeah, great actor. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Andrew, as always, amazing convo. Do you have anything you want to plug on your way out? Ooh, um, I'll plug Landscapers on HBO. <laughs> if you haven't checked it out, I feel like people aren't talking about Landscapers. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and it's fantastic. Olivia right Coleman, on. right? Yeah. Oh, and Thulis. Ooh, yeah. 
Those Ooh. two together are just amazing. That chemistry is incredible. Check it out. I haven't, I haven't watched it yet. I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, thank you for coming on, Andrew. Thank you for talking baseball, Major League, The Fan, super fun movies. Absolute next, joy. Next week, folks, we've got another just I toss-up matchup. we got two Wong Fu. Thanks for everything, Julie Newmar, versus Dolomite Is My Name. Ah! Uh, new classic Wesley Snipes performance. So tune in next week. We have a, um audience favorite guest. Well, we won't tell you who it is. We just have to wait and see. But they're a good one. Uh, so uh, for Andrew, for Patrick, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much. Thanks, Bye. You let me violate you. You let me desecrate you. You let me penetrate you. You let me complicate you. Help me.